0: Welcome to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. But uh, we're starting a new series today. I'm excited about it. We've been planning it for a while. I was thinking about it for several months leading up to this week. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be in this series called Repeat After Me. Because prayer is one of those subjects, like everybody buys into it. Everybody believes in it. Um, In fact, it is the most commonly um, agreed upon religious belief in the world. More people believe in prayer than believe in God, right? You have people that don't even believe in God, but they'll pray to like their ancestors or to nature, or they'll tell somebody that... Uh, is having a tough time or is sick, hey, our thoughts and prayers are with you. They don't even believe there's a God, but they believe in prayer. It's universally um, almost the uh, commonly accepted amongst everybody. Over 90% of the world believes in prayer. And so if you're looking to strike up a spiritual conversation with somebody, that's a good place to start. Hey man, what can I pray for you about? And almost everybody will be on board with that. Even people who aren't Christians, even people who aren't even believers in there, there's a God will give you something they can pray for. If you went to 10 neighbors' houses and just knocked on the door and simply said, hey, I'm starting a new ministry at my church. Um, I don't know if you're into church or not, but I decided to start praying for more people. Would you be able to let me pray for you? Almost all of them would say, yeah. If you just said, hey, could you just give me one thing to pray for? They'd come up with something to pray for. It might be something kind of generic. You know, hey, pray for my good health or pray for my kid's future or "or just pray that I get rid of this migraine that I got or whatever. But almost everybody will give you something in their life that isn't so great that they wish would be better. And they'll take almost anything. They say there's no atheists in a foxhole. and That's because when you get into a foxhole and the bullets start flying, you start thinking to yourself, dear God, help me, right? And so almost everybody believes in prayer, but it leaves us confused a lot of times. As if like real prayer is something for clergy. It's something for a priest or a pastor. It's something for really mature Christians. Something for really devout people of faith. But that isn't really the case in the Bible. The commandment throughout the Bible is for all of God's people to pray at all the time. That we should always be praying. And so I wrote down all these questions in my notes of things that we think when we're dealing with prayer. Like, what do I say? How do I do it? Why should I even care? Does it really make a difference? I know I've heard people tell stories of answered prayer, but I can't even think of a time when God gave me something I asked for. Is there a certain place I have to go to pray? Is there a certain time of the day that's better than others? Are there words that access God's power more than others? Are there an attitude behind it that needs to change? Is there a position I need to be in when I pray? Do I look up or do I look down? Do I get on my knees or lay flat on my belly? Do I stand with my arms open or do I fold my hands like I'm at the dinner table when I'm eight? How do I pray? What do I do? And a lot of these questions keep good intentioned people even good intentioned Christians, from actually praying. They think it's beyond them. We're going to set the record straight for the next six Sundays. I hope you'll be here. Anybody think they know how many of those six Sundays you'll have to be here to get the full picture of what we're trying to teach? That's right. Good. that's good. See, Chase didn't know that, but Randy knew it. That's good. Yeah, all six of them, right? So when we do a series at our church, it's often one big long sermon, spread out over into several weeks. That's no different today. Um, This series, it's a six-week sermon, but we're going to break it up into six different pieces for you. And so I hope you'll be here for each of the six weeks to get a different piece of the puzzle, how do we pray like Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, Jesus was this guy that had connection with God. He got anything he asked for. He felt closeness and intimacy with with the Father. How do we get that? And Jesus is going to tell us in this series as we study the things he said. In its most basic form or most basic definition, prayer is simply talking with God. Prayer is just talking with God. Don't let it be some big religious word that overwhelms you. It's just talking with God. It can be done silently or out loud. It can be done individually or with a group. It can be done at church or at home. It can be done anywhere, anytime, with anyone And so it's just simply talking with God. Paul in the New Testament describes our life as a battle. That we're in a war every day of our life. I want to read you how he describes it. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. This is how Paul describes our life and the battle we're in each day. He says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He describes our life as a battle going on, but not a battle with other people, not even a battle with the things around us, a battle with things we can't see, spirits and evil, probably thoughts and feelings, Things going on in the unseen world. Angels and demons at war and we're caught in the middle fighting against it every single day and you never see it. One of the things that makes prayer so difficult is you don't see it. It's just something that goes on inside your head. There's things you're thinking. Things you're saying to God. And you think, is God even there? I can't see Him. He's invisible. But that's exactly the kind of weapon we would need in a fight against things that are invisible, right? I mean, if we're fighting against other people, a sword or a shield might do. If we're fighting against a home invader, a handgun would be what we want. But if we're fighting against invisible forces of evil, against demons who are trying to wreck our day and destroy our lives, then we need an invisible weapon to fight them. And so Paul goes on in that passage to describe all of these weapons and defensive tools that are at the Christian's disposal to battle against the forces of evil. And he ends the whole thing in verse 18 of Ephesians 6 by summing it up and saying kind of, over all of those weapons, using God's word, having the right attitude, putting on peace towards others, living the right way that God tells you to live on all of those weapons, he casts one weapon over all of them. He says, above all else, pray. Pray. I want to show it to you in verse 18. This is how he ends that paragraph. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers. The weapon that Paul describes over all the other weapons to battle the forces of evil. This is a secret for my life that I had to learn the hard way. That until I get desperate and just start asking God for help, help won't be available. You can't help somebody that doesn't need help, and you can't help somebody that knows all the answers. But if you'll get desperate enough and beg God for help, just like Paul says, persistently, over and over again, it's almost like he describes prayer like a muscle that you have to work out day after day almost against your will in order to develop it, in order to persistently pursue fighting evil in your life. And that's how almost all spiritual... that's kind of like a religious term, but like a lot of religious circles, they'll call things spiritual disciplines. I don't know if you ever heard that or not. Spiritual disciplines is just like a term um, that kind of Christians use to describe all of the things in the Bible that God's telling us to do in order to combat evil in our life. Things like reading your Bible and going to church and loving your neighbor and forgiving people who do you wrong. And prayer is one of those. Fasting meditating, singing praise to God. These are all spiritual disciplines. And every single one of them in the Bible, just like prayer, is presented to us as if it's a muscle that we have to develop, that it's never going to come natural. It's always going to require something supernatural to do it. And so if you're here today and you feel like, man, I don't know what to say, I've never prayed before. I've never prayed out loud before. I'm not even sure if I'm doing it right. I don't even know if there is a God listening to me. That's normal. That's exactly how it should feel. Unnatural. Because it has to be worked out, conditioned, stretched, and developed, just like a muscle. And so Paul presents prayer that way as if it's this overriding weapon that we use to combat evil in our lives, but that you have to build it. So I asked Kenny to bring me a, a, a tool today. Okay? So he knows where I'm going with this already. But several years ago, several years ago, this was back when Opie first started coming to this church and he would like come help me with anything I'd ask him to do. But now he's been here long enough that he won't even answer my calls. Okay, so, But back in that day, right? Kenny had, I don't know if he called me or texted me, but was having some home repair problems. All right. So I love home repair stuff. Stephanie and I have done like quite a bit of uh, like remodeling, renovation stuff over our lives. We're smack dab in the middle of a renovation project right now in our basement. And so I love that stuff. So Kenny calls me up. He's having a problem with his stove. I don't even remember what was wrong. Were you just getting a new stove or was it just wasn't working or something? Right. Opie, you remember that, right? You remember, right? So his old house, he had this island kind of thing, and the stove was in the island. And so uh, Opie and I go over to save the day. And we start working on this stove, and we're trying to get it out so we can, like, actually work it. Well, something was in my way. I don't know if it was, like, a, a couple nails or something. But I said to Kenny, I was like, hey, you got a hammer? So we didn't bring any tools, you know. We just came to check it out. I said, you got a hammer? This is what he brought me. And I was like, dude, did you steal that from Santa's workshop? Or is that like what Andy Dufresne busted out of prison with? I'm like, where did you get that? That's not a hammer. I said, can you bring me a hammer? So I brought my hammer today too, All (laughs) right? This wasn't there with us, but like you need a real hammer. This looks like something that you'd make like a a wooden train that you'd drop down somebody's chimney on Christmas Eve. But it's like, ding, ding, ding. So I started making sounds like that the whole time. You know, ding, 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 ding. We were trying to fix this stove with a hammer, which just for the record... No matter what's wrong with your stove, if you go home today, that is not the tool you need, right? I don't think there's one problem with a stove that that tool will fix, Uh, a a rock hammer, whatever that is, right? In fact, this isn't the tool you need either. I can't think of anything on a stove that can be fixed with this except for your frustration level maybe, right? No hammer is going to fix A broken stove. So I brought some other tools too, right? And uh, these are tools that we have been using lately in our lives, right? And and I got a screwdriver. That might help you with a stove, depending on what you need to take off or get to, right? These two probably won't help you much with a stove either. This would help you with like a a, co worker you don't want to deal with. You just give them a couple, you know, a couple jabs and hit the button. But uh, this won't work either because I didn't bring a compressor. I was going to bring my compressor and challenge somebody to a building contest. I was afraid we'd accidentally shoot somebody with a nail. So I didn't want to do that, you know. Nothing will crush your church spirit more than hitting people with nail guns. So, So I didn't bring this. But what you learn, like early on, doing renovation work, building additions, finishing things off, any kind of construction job, what you learn very quickly is that if you don't have the right tool, it makes a big difference. And, and I could frame up a wall pretty quick with this. <laughs> not nearly as quick with this. Definitely not nearly as quick with this. And not nearly at all with just this. Like it would take me for building your life Without prayer, is like trying to build a wall without the right tools, without any power tools. You with me? You imagine trying to build a whole house? I can't even imagine how they built houses two hundred years ago. Can you imagine trying to build a whole house with just like a screwdriver and a hammer? With just a hammer and some kind of ch- it would be awful. It would take you so long if you didn't have a power nail gun. A a battery-operated drill, if you didn't have electric saws, if you didn't have all the right tools, if you didn't have any power tools, it would at minimum take you way longer to build a successful house, and it would get you way more frustrated. That's what it's like when you try to build your life without prayer. You can slap some boards together you can get some pieces of your life looking okay, but it's going to take you way longer and get you really frustrated along the way. And when you're done, you're going to sit back and look at it and be like, that's, that's all I got done? That's all I accomplished? Prayer is the power tool that builds your life the way God wants you to build it. Now I remember, uh, this was not too long ago, but anybody know how long it takes to frame up a wall with a nail gun? I can tell you this, it takes a little bit less time if Sam Kidd would help you, right? So Sam came over to my house one time, I was framing up a wall in the basement, and uh, I'm not going to say which one of us did the work and which one of us stood around drinking coffee and talking, all right? But I can tell you, it took us, I don't know, what do you think, like an hour or two? How long did it take us to get that wall all up and notched out and all that? An hour or two? (laughs) <laughs> I just know it would have taken less time if Sam would have helped. That's all I know, right? It, was, it took me about an hour or two. would have taken a little less time if Sam would have helped. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's right. He blamed the teacher. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's always the teacher's fault, isn't it, Chad? It's always the teacher's fault, right? But anyhow, so that's what your life's like. I don't want you to build your life with a hammer and a screwdriver. I want you to build your life with power tools. I want you to build your life with power that God offers through prayer. And so I said to you just a little while ago that prayer in its basic definition is just talking with God. That definition is really incomplete. It's not just talking with God, though that's its simplest definition. It's really this. It's really talking with God, but for the purpose of bringing my life into alignment with His. Now that's different than most people think. Most people think the purpose of prayer is talking with God in order to get what I want, okay? Or it's talking with God in order to let him know how I feel or what I think. Well, I got a, 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 like news newsflash. News flash. Like God already knows what you think. You with me? Okay. God already knows what you think. And I don't know that he's nearly as concerned about you getting what you want as he is about you getting what he wants. You with me? And so the purpose of prayer is not for us to tell God how we feel, though we tell him how we feel. It's not for us to tell God what we're thinking, although we tell him what we're thinking. It's not for us to ask for the things we want, although we ask for the things we want. The purpose is for us to talk with him And somehow in that spiritual discipline, as I work that muscle and I spend time over and over again telling him how I feel, what I think, what I need, how I love him, what he's done for me, and thanking him. As I do those things over and over and over again, the muscle that develops inside of me is alignment with God's will. And so I do it over and over again because it forces my desires into God's desires. It forces my wants into God's wants. It forces my attitudes into God's attitudes over time. You can't hit the gym once and think you're going to look, Maddox, look at Maddox. You can't hit the gym once and think you're going to come out looking like Maddox. That takes a lifetime of work, all right? You can't pray one time and think, I'm good for the rest of my life. It doesn't work like that. You got to get close to God over and over and over again. Over and over throughout the Bible, that's the command when it comes to praying. Pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Pray persistently. If you go to your neighbor's house at night and you knock on the door and say, "Hey, can you give me something to eat?" The neighbor says, "Go away, I'm already in bed." But you keep knocking. You say, hey man, I'm starving to death. Give me something to eat. The neighbor's not going to get up and give you something to eat because you're such a nice guy. Because, because you said the right words. The neighbor's going to get up and give you something to eat because he's sick of you nagging him. That's in the Bible. That's why God answers our prayers sometimes. Cause he sees our persistence. Imagine, just use your imagination for a second, a spider web. And in the middle of that spider web is God. And my goal is to get closer and closer to God every day. And so I'm I'm moving along these threads of web to get closer to the center. I'm building this web in my life of all these disciplines that as I do them, get me closer and closer to God. Everybody in our family was sick last week, like death sick, right? I mean, it was like we put tape up on the door. Nobody could come over. And so it's like, it's the Logan, Stephanie, Sydney, me. Of course I had to be last, right? <laughs> so and even, even my dad got sick. Yeah. Even my dad, everybody got sick. Right. And so, uh, but it was like nasty sick. It was like throw up sick. I never, I mean, we now. Ne- I can't, like, I don't even know. Like, maybe like a couple times, like since we've been married, like I've thrown up, you know what I mean? Like just rare, but it, but it was like throw up sick. I hate that. I hate that, you know, but I remember like Logan got sick first and then Stephanie got sick and I'm thinking laying in bed, not sleeping. And I'm thinking like, I'm going to get sick. That's what I'm thinking, right? I'm going to get sick. Why? Because she's right beside me, breathing on me, you know what I mean? Taking up my good air. And I'm thinking there's nothing I can do to keep from getting this virus. I'm going to get it. Sure enough, two days later, I was sick, right? That's how it works. You catch what you're close to. You understand? If you want to catch what God has, if you want to catch what God is, then you got to get up close to him. I didn't catch a viral infection from somebody I passed on the street and I waved at. I caught it from the people I was up close to. You catch what you're close to. And so if you look throughout Jesus' life, he had these closest followers around him. He's 12 apostles disciples they spent almost every waking minute with him for three years but there was only one thing they ever asked him to teach them they didn't ask Jesus to teach them uh, how to speak in public how to be good leaders uh, how to make more money how to be successful they asked him only for one thing not not how to do miracles not how to heal people like he did they learned all of that stuff just from watching him the only thing they ever asked him to do is in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. What do you mean? You're religious. You grew up in Judaism. You know the law. You've seen people pray your whole life. What do you mean? Teach us to pray. I mean, we've been watching you, Jesus, and something about your life. It's like you're connected to God in a different way. Teach us to be like that. Teach us how to talk with God like you talk with God. I've never heard anybody pray that way. And so Jesus is going to teach them how to pray. He's going to teach us how to pray over the next five Sundays from today. How to pray. His answer to that question is found in a parallel passage of that exact same story in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read you the passage in a translation we use most of the time in our church, but you may have grown up in a, a church like mine where you had to memorize the Lord's Prayer. You may have memorized the Lord's Prayer, or you had to say the Lord's Prayer, and you had to say it in King James English, and so uh, that's how I have it memorized, but I'm going to read it to you in the translation that um, we usually preach out of here, but if you want to do it in King James, that's, it won't hurt my feelings, all right? Uh, but you, guys know, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say the Lord's Prayer, because that's not in the Bible, it's just something we say, right? Our Father, who art in heaven. Anybody ever hear that before? No, everybody's like deer in the head. Okay, three people heard it. Excellent! All right. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That thing. Okay, so here it is. Ready? Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus answers his disciples, and he says, This is how you pray. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I busted into King James English like twice on that. Did you hear that, Stephanie? I was like, it's so ingrained into my head. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But anyhow, so... That is typically called the Lord's Prayer. And what Jesus is saying in that example prayer is not, these are the words you should say every time you pray. In fact, if you read the paragraph right before that paragraph, Jesus specifically says not to do that. Don't be like all the other religious people who just babble on and on saying the same thing over and over again. They think because their words are so beautiful, because they're so eloquent in their speech, because they say the same exact thing over and over, that somehow they're going to be heard. They're not going to be heard. No, instead, you pray like this. These aren't the words to use. This is the blueprint to use. And we're going to study through that blueprint over these six sessions together. Today, I just want to hit the first one because it brings us to this question that if you're going to pray and be successful praying, actually see God do things from your prayer, you got to answer this question first. Ready? Here it is on the screen. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? Are you talking to me? Taxi driver. (laughs) (laughs) nobody watches old movies, I guess. Okay, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) That was on Seinfeld too, by the way, if you're a little younger than that, but yeah, if you're really young, you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. So, but uh, you can look it up later. Taxi driver, Robert De Niro. (laughs) Who do you think you're talking to, right? Who are you talking to? Do you even know who we're talking to when you're praying? And Jesus makes it clear in the very first piece of this paragraph, I want you to have no doubt who we're praying to. We're not praying to some mysterious spirit. We're not praying to our ancestors. We're not praying to a really good guy. We're not praying to just somebody who can help us. We are praying to a specific person. And he starts the passage off by saying that. He breaks it down kind of into into three phrases. And he says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Can we look at those three things just for a second? Our Father, it's interesting that Jesus says that. You can tell a lot about what you think of God by the way you start a prayer, whether out loud or in your head. Do you say, dear Heavenly Father? A lot of people say that. Do you say, Jesus? Jesus, help me today to, you know, whatever. Jesus, thank you for... Do you say, dear Lord? Do you say, oh, great and mighty Savior? Like, what do you say to start your prayer? Yeah, okay, so everybody's got their thing, right? Right? You could tell a lot about what somebody thinks of God by how they start their prayer. But Jesus says it this way, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. What's he saying? He's saying that God in heaven is actually our dad. I know that some of us in the room, you had bad dads growing up. I'm not allowed to say that to me because my dad's here. So I'm just Kenny. I know you're going to say that after church. So I'm not saying that. But some of us had bad dads but I want you to know all of us had imperfect dads, okay? But God in heaven is positioned in the Bible as a good father. But the Bible is clear that there's good fathers and bad fathers. There's a good father and there's a bad father. Can I show you an example of both of them? In John chapter 8, Starting in verse 38, Jesus is talking to some religious people and he says, I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Who's, who's their father? Verse 42, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Do you even know who you're talking to? You with me? Verse 44, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, the devil, a bad father. James chapter 1 shows us the opposite, a good father. James chapter 1, verse 13. Remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptations come from our own desires that entice us and drag us away. So don't be misled. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. There's a good father and a bad father. And I want you to know that if you grew up and your dad was a bad father, it's probably affected the way you pray. It's probably affected the way you do everything in life. Sigmund Freud kind of concluded that the human condition can be traced back to your relationship with your mother. But in recent history, most psychologists have concluded that almost all of the bondage you experience in life has its roots in your relationship with your father. And we overemphasize the relationship of a mother with their child for centuries. And now we live in a culture where dads are gone. And even if they're there, they're silent. They're not leading the way. And trouble is everywhere because of it. I'm not saying that all of your problems are your dad's fault. I'm not even giving you permission to blame them for any of it. Sin is sin and we're all guilty of it. But it's just interesting to note this comparison between our fathers and God, our Father in heaven. I want to just give you a breakdown of what a bad father looks like, what a good father looks like real quick. A bad father is conditional in his acceptance of you. It's all based on what you do. If you perform well, I will love you. If you don't, I won't. But God, our heavenly Father, is not like that. He is unconditional in his love for us. No matter what you do, he loves you. Can I show it to you? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That's Bible talk for let's pray. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. We'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. Not when we've performed the best. When we've screwed it up the biggest. When we're the most desperate. When everybody's against us. When we haven't done anything right we'll find grace to help. Unconditional love and acceptance. A bad father is apathetic. He doesn't really care. He's indifferent to you. He just doesn't really take any initiative to help train you, to teach you, take care of you. But God, our heavenly father, is the opposite. A good father is proactive. He goes out of his way to pursue you, to teach you what's right and what's wrong. To discipline you, to train you in the way to have a successful life, look at first John chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 19. We love because God, He loved us first. He's not waiting around for us to initiate. God's coming after us. He's doing it. He's pursuing us. Isaiah 41:10, don't be afraid, for I am with you, don't be discouraged, for I am your God, I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Not after the battle. I got your back in the battle. I'm holding you up. I'm giving you victory. I'm coming after you to love on you, to help you, to teach you, to protect you, to train you. A bad father is absent. He's not there. Even if he is there, he's so silent, you don't even know he's there. He's absent, but not our God, not our father. He's present all the time. Hebrews thirteen 5, he'll never abandon us. He'll never forsake us. Isaiah forty six four says, I'll be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. Some of us are already there. Some of us are already there. Till your hair is white with age. I only got like two white hairs, Abby, I think. Two. It's like two. But you're not allowed to pull those out because then they grow back like triple or something. Is that how that works? Okay. <clears throat> I will be with you. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where that came from, Abby. I will be with you until your hair is white with age. I made you. I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. He is present with us all the time. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. Where an earthly father may have failed you, God will be there all the time. A bad father is an authoritarian. It's his way or the highway. There is no grace. There is no loving you. There is no acceptance of your shortcomings. There's his way or the highway, but not our heavenly father. He is patient. A good father is patient. He's patient with you, long-suffering, and he's gentle. Psalm chapter 86, verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Let me give you one more. A bad father is abusive. Sometimes physically, sometimes verbally, sometimes mentally, sometimes spiritually. But not our God. Our Heavenly Father is protective. He protects us. Psalm chapter 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. I just want you to know that even if your dad was awful growing up, if he wasn't around, or if he was and he was abusive, if he never had any grace or compassion for you, if he lacked patience, I want you to know that that doesn't have to wreck the rest of your life. That God wants to be a better father for you. That he wants to be loving you unconditionally and proactive in your care, present with you all the time, patient and long-suffering with you, and always protecting and keeping you safe. Our Father, he is all-loving. And there is probably no one word that describes God the Father in the Bible better than loving. And then you get to the second piece of this phrase. says, our Father in heaven. And heaven just speaks to God's preeminence. That he sits in authority over all of creation. Above us all. Somebody's wife is calling. I don't know. He sits in authority above everybody else. Above everything else in heaven. He is all-powerful. He reigns and rules over everything, and there's never a time that he's not in control. He is always in control. He's never caught sleeping or by surprise. He always knows what's going on and isn't shocked by anything. And then he says, may your name be kept holy. Holy is this awesome word in the Bible. It just simply means to be set apart is different. To be set apart is unique, sinless, pure, pure. The only one who's perfect. The only one who's like he is. The uniqueness of our God. It's holy, holy, holy. In fact, when time is done, all we'll hear in heaven is angels in God's throne room saying to him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. He is so different from the rest of us. He's not like your dad he's not like you. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't reason like you. He isn't selfish like you. He is 100% pure, separate, and unique from everyone and everything else. He is always, always good and always trustworthy. Can I read you Psalm 119 verse 65? It says, you have done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. And then in verse 68, the psalmist says, you are good and do only good. I I don't know if you caught it or not, but what Jesus was saying when he said, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, was he was saying, do you even know who you're talking to? He is all loving. He is all powerful. And he is all good. (laughs) and when those three things come together you have something that is only seen in God sometimes it's hard to explain to people how God the Father God the Spirit and God the Son can all be one person they call it the Trinity how do you explain that to somebody and there's no real good way to explain that because we don't really understand because we're not like that but the best way I've ever heard to explain that is just think of like an egg an egg is three different parts but it's one egg right You don't say to somebody, I have three eggs when you have one. You have one egg, but you also have a shell, a yolk, and the white, right? It's three pieces of one egg. God is three essences of one being. The Lord our God is one God, but he exists eternally in three distinct essences or personalities. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, and I shared with you just a little while ago that there's probably no better word in all of the Bible to describe God the Father than that of loving. All throughout the Bible, when God the Father is talked about, it's, He's often talked about and described as a loving Father. He is patient and long-suffering. He, his love never ends. It endures forever. For God so loved the world. We love because He first loved us. All throughout the Bible, God the Father is described as loving. God the Spirit is described all throughout the Bible as power. And there's probably no better word to describe God the Holy Spirit than the word power. That He is all-powerful, like a mighty rushing wind. He enables us and protects us and and provides for us and gives us gifts and ability that we don't have on our own. He is all-powerful, God the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus comes along. God the Son. And the best word to describe Jesus in the whole Bible is the word redemption. Can I teach you what redemption is? Here's what redemption is. You ready? It literally means to buy something back, right? To buy something back. You redeem something at the store. You redeem a coupon. They give you money for it. Whatever. You buy something back. But redemption is really when all powerfulness and all lovingness exist at the same moment. What Jesus did when He came to earth was He became something we could see that represented everything that God the Father is and everything that God the Spirit is. And they come together in this perfect person of Jesus to buy us back from death. But it took the mingling together of everything God the Father and God the Spirit is. All loving, and all-powerful to get to Jesus who is all good. All-powerful and all-loving exists at the same time to produce all good. And it took all of that to save you. If you're a Christian and you've decided to follow Jesus with your whole life, he has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has bought you back from death and given you life, but that wouldn't have existed if Jesus couldn't have somehow been everything that God the Father and God the Spirit are at the same time. And the problem with the way most of us pray is we have a tough time believing that God could be all-powerful and all-loving at the exact same time. Oh, I believe he's all-loving. Some of you pray that way. He wants what's best for me. He wants to give me whatever I ask for. You don't think you have a God. You think you have a genie. I don't think he. I don't think he would ever do anything mean to anybody. I don't think he'd ever punish anybody. I don't think he'd. I don't even know if he can help, but I know he loves me. I know he loves me. And others of you have been so scared your whole life of God that you have you have trouble praying as if He actually loves you. Your prayers are prayers of fear. God, don't get me. God, don't strike me dead with lightning. God, I'm so sorry for what I did. All your prayers are guilty, tear-filled prayers. You can't even imagine that God could love you. You can imagine God is all-powerful, that he would get you. But until those two things come together in Jesus, you don't get to see what both of them together look like. And what all-powerful and all-loving looks like together is that I will die on the cross for you. You deserve death, and I'm powerful enough to kill you. But I want to love you and so i'll die for you. And redemption is where all powerfulness meets all lovingness, all lovingness, and it took both of those to save you. If God had been all loving but isn't all powerful, he would not have been able to save you. If God had been all powerful but not all loving, he would not he could he would not have saved you. If God has unlimited power but doesn't love you, he won't save you. But if God has unlimited love but limited power, he can't save you. Only when those two things come together in Jesus do you get to see all good, redemption. You hear what he's saying? When you pray, do you even know who you're talking to? You're talking to somebody who is all loving of you, who is all powerful for you. But when those come together, who is all good towards you? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Look at the way you've prayed in the past. Is it it tear-filled guilt that can't ever accept that God loves you? Is it like a wish list that you're asking Santa for? Is it possible that you've only viewed God as all-loving or all-powerful but have never gone to the next step of saying, but in Jesus, those come together and He is all good? To me. To everybody. And so I can come to him and ask him for anything because he has unlimited power, but I can know that he's not going to crush me because he has unlimited love. And I force myself to do it over and over again because as I talk to him more and more, he doesn't find out more about me. He knows everything about me. He doesn't understand what I want. He knows what I want. I don't get to demand things from him. I'm not his God. He's my God. But as I force myself into those conversations with him day after day, over and over again, what happens is I get right up next to him and I start to catch what he has. I get intimate with God. The Bible gives God all kinds of names. I was going to share with you a bunch of those. I'm going to skip over that, Kenny. But a bunch of names the Bible gives God that he is our righteousness, he's our sanctification, he's our peace, he's here, he heals, he provides, he's our shepherd, all these things that God is for us. But just give me that sentence I put there for all of them. But this is basically what the Bible is saying. God is the one who saves me. He's the calmer of my spirit. He's the healer of my mind and body. He's the giver of all my success. He's the source of all my security and safety to the one who is always loving, to the one who is always in control. And to the one who is always good, I pray. I pray. Have you prayed in the past, but fallen short of understanding who you're actually talking to? Have you thought God was unloving? Have you prayed but thought God was unkind? Like he doesn't care about you. Like he's absent. Like he's a bad father. Like he doesn't really have any interest in helping you, even if he is there. Have you prayed in the past but really in your heart thought God is unable to help? That He's limited? That He's not infinite? That He's not all-powerful? Our Savior is more powerful than your shame. And He loves you with grace that is greater than any of your guilt. Has your prayers, have they been more like rituals than relationships? babbling the same things over and over. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for another day, God. Thank you for the weather. Oh, it's so nice. Thank you, God. Help me to be good today, and to love people, blah, 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 blah. Imagine going out on a date with somebody, sitting across the table, I mean, I, you know, and, you, and you're suave. You know what I'm talking about? You're like on a date with somebody, and you, you know you got game. You're like, they're eating out of the palm of your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Sam knows what I'm talking about, because but you're sitting across the table at some restaurant with somebody, and you're like, oh, baby, I know it's our first day. But I just want you to know, you're so beautiful. I just, I'm just, i crazy about you. You're just awesome. I love you. I'd do anything for you. I just want you to know, you're unlike any girl I've ever dated. I mean, your eyes are like fire. I don't know. I don't know whatever you say. I don't know. What do you say? What do you say, Cars, when you're out with a girl? I don't know. Like, I'll show you how to play basketball. Come watch me. Yeah, like, whatever it is you say. And then you had a great time, and she had a great time. And so then you're like, hey, you want to go out again? And you get together like a week later, and you sit down at the table, and you're like, oh, oh, baby, I just want you to know. I know we just started going out, but I love you so much. You're the most beautiful. Your eyes are like fire. You want to come watch me play basketball? She's sitting there thinking, like, dude, you just said that to me three days ago. And you're like, oh, I forgot I said all that. I'm sorry. I'll say something. You want to go out again? You get together a week later, and you sit down at some table at a restaurant, and you're like, oh baby. I know we just started. I saw our third day. I just want you to know I love you. You're so beautiful. Your eyes are like fire. You want to come watch me play basketball? I'm pretty good, you know? How many times are you going to have to go out on a date where she starts thinking to herself, this idiot doesn't know what to say, he's just saying the same thing over and over again, like some broken right. See, has he got like a note or something he's reading or what's going on? Is this even really him? What do you think it's like when like all God hears for us like, dear God, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the food. Amen is that what your prayers are like, some kind of ritual where you're just getting through it to say you did it? Yeah, I went out on this date. I I said all the right stuff, man. You said all the wrong stuff. It's not about the words you say. It's about the attitude behind it. And the attitude is like, if I just keep saying this thing over and over, she'll, she'll, she'll buy it. It's not going to work like that. It doesn't work like that on a date. It doesn't work like that with God. He's not impressed by your babbling on and on the same things over and over again. He wants to have a relationship with you. Not so he can know you better. He knows you better than anyone can know you. Not so he can just give you whatever you're asking for. That's what a genie would do. No, he wants to love you and be connected with you. And as you force yourself day after day to pray, to this God, the one who is all loving and all powerful and all good, you will close, get closer and closer and closer to Him. And the closer you get to Him, the more you'll catch what He has. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, Paul writes, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. What am I trying to say? That if you will seek God every day, if you will pray if you will take these spiritual disciplines that, that feel a little awkward and unnatural at first and you will force yourself to do them over time you will get closer to god and you'll start to catch what he has it, it, it isn't always going to feel right it isn't always going to feel normal because we've never done it that way but when you pray Don't pray like you're praying to some absentee father who's tyrannical and doesn't like you. And don't pray like you're praying to somebody who's just gonna do whatever you tell him to do as if he works for you. No, pray to our Father in heaven who is holy and different and unique and is all loving and all powerful and all good all at the same time. If you do that, there's a reward. There's a reward for doing it you'll start to pray like Jesus prayed. You start to pray like Jesus prayed, you'll start to feel connected to the Father like Jesus felt connected to the Father. Wouldn't that be better to not feel alone, to not feel abandoned, to not feel like you gotta walk on eggshells around the the God that you say you serve? Wouldn't it be better to be connected with him like Jesus was connected with him? All loving, all powerful, all good, all the time pray everywhere always without ceasing pray about everything and if you do there's a reward for those that seek after him that way the reward is intimate connection with the God of the universe so right now I want to challenge you just to um, kind of close your eyes and bow your heads and while this song prays maybe this will be the first prayer of your life maybe it'll be the first real prayer of your life Maybe it'll be a brand new type of prayer for somebody who's prayed thousands of times before. But while this song plays, would you just celebrate your God in a conversation with him? Not some babbling that you heard somebody else say, not some ritual that you think you get credit for, but just talking to him like you would talk to a dad who loves you unconditionally. Just talking to him like you would talk to a king who has unlimited power to do anything he wants to do in and for you. And talk to him like somebody that you know is all good and has your best interest at heart all the time. Would you talk to him for the next couple minutes but know who you're talking to?